Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. One week ago, Northumberland Hills Hospital announced there was a COVID-19 outbreak. 18 cases were confirmed at the time. Patients in the medical and surgical units were hit, along with some in the rehab unit. Staff were spared. Visitors and volunteers were restricted from these units. A number of preventative measures were taken, similar to those in the past. This is what cold and flu season looks like in Northumberland in a post-pandemic world. On today's show, you will hear from two organizations on the front lines. First, Northumberland Hills Hospital CEO Susan Walsh will explain what is going on with the outbreaks. She will also give her insights into how the hospital copes within this new reality. I'm delighted to have back on the show Susan Welsh, CEO of the Northumberland Hills Hospital. Welcome back, Susan. Thank you so much, Rob, for having me. On Tuesday of last week, the hospital announced a COVID outbreak on the inpatient rehabilitation and restorative care units. Then two days later, the outbreak was extended to the medical and surgical units. Can you tell us what happened and why it occurred? Uh, absolutely. So right now, as you know, Rob, we're in the middle of cold and flu season. So even though the World Health Health Organization has deemed that the emergency part of the pandemic is over, we know that COVID continues to be in our community, continues to be in our hospital. We often will admit patients who have covid and often there may be individuals who may come in with COVID to visit their loved ones. So we know it's in the community. And so when you when we declare an outbreak, it is something that the we work very closely with our HKPR public health unit on. The, uh, the health unit is really the, the only person that can declare an outbreak. And essentially what an outbreak is, is when there has been a suspected or observed transmission amongst one or two individuals. And so that will create heightened surveillance. And that's where we start to put in the measures to prevent any further spread. How many patients were impacted? So we, I know that in our news release, we had put a number in there and that number changes all the time. Overall, we today have had fluctuations in the number of patients. And as I said, some of the patients we've had were admitted with COVID and some were actually hospital acquired. So the number that you saw in the news release at that time was 18 and that number changes every day. But right now, the number is less than what it was at that time. But again, we continue to monitor this because this is something that's really important to us. How many staff were impacted, doctors, nurses, and others? At this point, we've had no staff that have been off with COVID. Do you know if anyone from the public was affected? That's a really good question, Rob. And you know, one of the things that we don't know is that, you know, who has COVID. We have some individuals who may have sniffs, um, sniffles and cold-like symptoms and other individuals who may have COVID 
um, actually have no symptoms whatsoever. So one of the things that is really important that I really wanted to use this as an opportunity to, to talk about was the fact that if you are feeling unwell, please, you know, stay away from the hospital. If you do come to the hospital and need to come here, then please observe the signs that we have around masking. We have continued our masking protocol in our inpatient units um, the whole time. We haven't changed any of those measures, but we do know that at from time to time, families will come in with food and they want to be able to eat that food with their loved ones. And so what we have once we go into outbreak, we put in heightened measures so that we we reduce the spread of any further illnesses. For people who may not remember, could you just go over the masking po protocols again for us just to refresh our memories? Certainly, I'd be happy to. As I, as I indicated earlier, um, we have continued to have masking in all of our clinical areas. So anytime that you walk into a unit where there's patients, the, the masking continues for the staff, volunteers, physicians, and for any visitors that come into that area. Um, some time ago, we lifted the mask protocol for non-patient areas, and that continues in place today. So again, right now with the areas that have been declared on outbreak, which is our post-acute area and our acute medicine floor, the, the masking protocol is um, for staff and is for N95s. And for any visitors who, who need to come in because of compassionate reasons, as, as you noticed in the um, news release, we really are limiting visitors as one of the measures that we can put in place. But we know from time to time that individuals who may be at end of life or for other compassionate reasons need to have their loved ones with them. And so we do make those exceptions on a compassionate basis. But, but essentially in all the clinical areas is masking. And what about the emergency room? Same, same thing, Rob. It's been the emergency department has been under a masking protocol um, during the pandemic, and that's never changed. This impacted event as well. Uh, are you referring to our 20th anniversary celebrations? That's correct. Yes, we had we had planned um, for months to have a 20th anniversary to celebrate the 20 years that this magnificent building has been in place. And out of, out of an abundance of caution, we decided that you know, the timing would not be right to be inviting the community into the hospital, given um, it was actually right around the time that we declared the outbreak. So we have postponed the event. We can, we will continue to plan in the future for a future event. But right now, we felt it was the safest thing to do in the short term is not to be inviting additional individuals into the hospital. There have been other outbreaks over the past six months. These took place in the summer months when we usually think that infection rates are lower. What factors played into those outbreaks? I think it's the same. It's the same factors that would have been in this outbreak. It's it's really, um, we have measures in place to prevent the spread of any disease, hand washing, wearing masks, not coming to work sick, not visiting someone when you're sick. And we know that from time to time, COVID continues to be in our community. There continue to be individuals who may be asymptomatic and by no fault of their own may have come into the hospital. There's a variety of reasons. It's very difficult to pin, pin, pinpoint a specific um, reason, but we do know that it is really important that our community, our staff, our volunteers, our physicians continue to be vaccinated. 
continue to wear their PPE appropriately, and just to be very mindful about what they do in relationship to visiting a hospital. Is there anything that can be done to absolutely control this kind of thing? I, I mean, we can sit back and see these things unfold, but with all the tools that you have available, can you really stop outbreaks or is it just a matter of managing them as they occur? I think we always, you know, we have an IPAC team and their work is constantly surveilling the environment from an infection prevention and control perspective. We do education with our staff, we do education with our public, the, the health unit continues to work with um, community partners on the efforts that they're doing to control. There, you can, there are so many different levels, you know, that when you think about the hierarchy of controls associated with infections, there's, you know, a complete elimination means that you basically have nobody coming into the facility at all. Um, you know, then you look at, you know, what are the barriers that you can put in place? So during the pandemic, you would have seen all the plastic barriers, um, you know, the physical barriers, then you've got your protocols and your education and PPE actually is the last, um, the last of the hierarchy around preventing spread. I think it's very difficult to, to prevent spread completely, but I do think each and every one of us as not only, um, community members, as patients, as staff, uh, have a role to play in preventing and putting things in place to prevent the spread of any infection, not just um, flu, COVID. This time of year is known as respiratory illness season, or to most of us, cold and flu season, as you've already referred to it. How would you characterize this season so far as compared to others? I would say so far that we it's not a it's not um, dissimilar to previous um, seasons that we've had. Right now, the hospital is at ninety four percent occupancy. Our inpatient units are at um, our acute medicine is at one hundred and twenty five percent. We're seeing this across the system as well in terms of uh, volumes, but those volumes are the same volumes. Um, that we've seen year over year. So we're not seeing anything different this year. We did hear in some of our Ontario health planning conversations that there were gonna be two major waves this year. And the first wave really is happening now in terms of influenza, but a portion of that would be COVID. So we are continuing to do the things that we always done. We're planning for additional beds to be open if we need to. We're working with our community partners, including public health on all of the things that we can do to prevent the spread of transmission of illness, which is why we're offering our flu vaccines, COVID vaccines. And I know that that's also happening in the community right now. So I'm not seeing something specifically different from previous years, but it still puts a lot of pressure on the system every year at this time. Dr. Natalie Bocking, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, says she is currently optimistic about this season. How would you say you're feeling about things these days? I think we have all of the we have all of the structures and the processes in place to prepare for this season. We've been doing a lot of work in planning for uh, flu and respiratory season. You know, whether it be um, making sure that we keep our bedded capacity open so that we can um, 
you know, make sure that we have the capacity to care for individuals. We've got our ICU beds ready. We are, we're prepared for whatever comes through the door. Um, and I, I feel the same way that I did about that previously. What if any patterns are emerging this season? Is Are there any trends you are seeing as people are coming to the hospital in regards to COVID, flu, or RSV? No, not, not right now, Rob. I'm not specifically seeing anything. Um, I, I have heard that RS, RSV would be a factor more so this year than previous years, but I haven't heard internally whether we're seeing any um, additional RSV patients. So there's nothing really right now that I could share with you to tell you that there's something different going on. In terms of the hospital's ability to deal with COVID cases, how would you describe the changes in the way the hospital handles cases as it has evolved over time? How does the hospital integrate the lessons learned so that you're able to manage things as you're going forward? That's a really great question. I think that um, we've had the experience of the pandemic. We've always had very strong infection prevention and control mechanisms in place. We work very closely, as I said, um, with public health. We have very strict protocols um, and standard work that we that we that we kick into the moment that we see any. Um, essence of potential transmission. So I would say that we have a very competent IPAC team. We have an IPAC physician that works with our team. We work closely with public health and we know what we need to do in the event. And that's why we're able to, to basically put in those measures that we've articulated in our news release around the things that we do, such as limiting visitors for this period of time, wearing your PPE, not coming into the hospital if you're feeling unwell. And that would apply to anyone including staff, physicians, volunteers, and midwives. So we have very um, stringent protocols that we rely on anytime that we are facing a potential outbreak of any nature. And I would say that that continues. What about staff, doctors, nurses, all the other people that work there? Does this take a toll on them? And, and what sort of supports do they get uh, in the face of of dealing with these these kinds of outbreaks and these waves of these kinds of respiratory illnesses, COVID, flu, et cetera? Really, another really great question, Rob. I think that one of the things that we recognize coming out of the pandemic was how important it is to be able to maintain and keep the, the morale of the, the team that we work with. And so we started something called a Caring for the Carers campaign, and that's been in place for two years. And it's ways, it's, it's access to mental health supports, it's access to fun activities, it's ways that staff can decompress in the context of their busy work life to be able to have a moment. And sometimes it involves um, fun activities, but we really focus on providing opportunities for staff to um, you know, be, come out of their outbreak unit, take a, have a rest. We try to care for them as much as we can so that they can go back at the cold face of the, the patient and continue to do that work. And that's something that we've been working on very closely, not only as part of our people first strategy, but as I said, we've, we've done a lot of work around caring for the caregiver this year and last year. This is also cold and flu season. We've we've alluded to it a couple of times, but we've been talking mostly about COVID. I'm just wondering, in terms of cold and flu, how is the hospital responding? 
Um, the, the, the processes, the mechanisms in terms of the ED continue, you know, one of the measures that speaks to the, our, our ED volumes have increased over time, but that's really reflective also of the increase in the population and in the, who've moved into our community. And for many folks who are having challenges accessing primary care or don't have access to a primary care physician, which is a whole other conversation, I'm sure. So we have one of the measures that we look at is how, you know, how long do people stay in the emergent and how many patients do we have waiting for a bed? And I can say that day in and day out, we've been able to admit patients to a hospital bed very, you know, in a, in a time that is considered to be reasonable based on the measures that we're evaluated against through the ministry. And we've also implemented um, a, geriatric, a geriatric activation team, which has really allowed us to divert admissions. So we've had um, the geriatric activation team started in February. And it's really uh, putting in resources at the emergency department to support people being cared for in the community and not having to be admitted. Some of those patients may have cold and flu, but they may have other chronic conditions that they're dealing with. But what that does allow us to do is to divert admissions. And so far, the early um, performance of this team is for the patients that are in this program or who are able to access the team that we've had a 77% diversion rate, which means that we're freeing up our beds to care for people who may need to be admitted because of cold, flu, or influenza or any other um, reason why they need to be admitted. So those are some of the things that we've been doing. We've also um, done work to decrease our ALC rate, which is our alternate level of care. And that's those individuals who are in the hospital waiting for another um, location to be cared in. All of these strategies have allowed us to free up beds so that when we do have increased volumes in our emergency department, we're able to flow through quickly to an inpatient bed. And that has really helped with some of the volume increases that we've seen in the emergency department. Um, and there's other, you know, other tactics that we have in terms of our emergency offloading with our ambulances. And NHH in particular has made we're, we're, we're one of the top in the province in terms of ambulance offload, which is really how quickly can we um, have patients brought into the eMERGE, the information about the patient is shared, and then the ambulance um, crew can get back into the community. So all of these things work together in a synergistic fashion to support the increased volumes in the ED. You've given us quite a number of ways in which you're making changes and collaborating with others to to uh, reduce the emergency room pressures. But what about through the Ontario Health team and, and dealing with the, the this respiratory season? Is, is there anything that you're doing beyond this? Absolutely, Rob. One of the things that I think I may have mentioned earlier in our conversation is that the health unit in September had hosted a um, a planning, a fall, a, a respiratory season planning session, which brought together not only NHH, but all members of the community who may have the ability to impact. And so that work took place. And from that, there were a number of different strategies that were identified. So we work very closely. We are part of the Ontario Health Team Northumberland. We work very closely with all of our community partners. And some of the strategies are the same ones that I've articulated, access to vaccines, you know, self-surveillance around your own um, level of illness and making critical decisions about where you come to work. You know, the, the common things of, of keeping yourself um, healthy 
But all of these things together create this network of strategies to support um, the community being able to manage. And so right now what you're seeing is the culmination of that in terms of the vaccine clinics that are being hosted both in primary care and through public health and also through the hospital and other um, pharmacies in the area. So there's a lot of people working together. We're very fortunate in Northumberland County to have a very connected um, team of individuals who really do work together well for the betterment of our community. We've alluded to it a number of times in our conversation, but what advice are you giving people about booster shots and vaccines? I think the advice continues to be that to get your booster shots, to get your, your flu vaccine, it is one of the ways that we know can pre prevent the spread and also the severity of illness. So we continue to have that as a key message. In speaking with the health unit recently, it, its message remains pretty constant. Is there anything you would like to add for people listening that they can do to reduce the chances of getting sick and minimizing the spread? I, I think that um, some of the key messages that I would say is that not only in, you know, especially around the hospital, if you are, if you are unwell, you know, please refrain from coming from the hospital. If you do come to the hospital because you need to come to visit or here for treatment, please observe the signage that we have around what um, personal protective equipment is required in that specific area. And I think all of us need to be mindful that, you know, the flu, COVID, and other respiratory illnesses continue to be in our environment. And so those things that you do, such as washing your hands, not touching your face, and, and following good hygiene, all, you know, good things, basic things, foundational things that we should continue to do now and continuing forward to break the chain of infection. Susan Walsh, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Rob. I really appreciate this opportunity. That was Northumberland Hills Hospital CEO Susan Walsh. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.